All right. Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so excited that you're with us. Uh, just from our legal department, we do want to go ahead and just say we're sorry on the front end for Children's Church. Uh, JJ is very excited about that, so just pick, pick up your kids as soon as you can. Um, we'll try to make this short, but we're thankful for them uh, to helping out this morning. I also, we, we mentioned this last week, that we try to make our announcements as fun as possible, and at times they are informative. Um, but because of the fun, sometimes we overlook things every once in a while. And we did miss a birthday. Uh, Alexis Coy turned 18 on Tuesday. So just happy birthday, Alexis. <clears throat> I didn't embarrass you, just a happy birthday. So again, we're glad that you're with us this morning. As I said last week, any time that you try to do a sermon that stays within a sermon series on a special Sunday like Mother's Day, a bit challenging. For example, our sermon series over the last few weeks has been living like Jesus, and Jesus was not a mother. Uh, so it's how do you do that? How do you kind of work within that? And so this Sunday, what we're going to do is to focus a lot on Mary, Jesus' mother, and tie them together with example of how we live like Jesus through Mary. And although there are numerous examples of mothers and motherly figures throughout Scripture, Mary is likely the most noted and referenced. Uh, And as we did throughout our Christmas series, there's so much to be gained from looking at the life of Mary and discussing how she lived. And so this morning, again, I want to build off of that and start with one of the earliest scenes of Mary. I think through Mary, we can see a few different elements of what it's like to be a mother. Let's go to that next passage, Jack. Thank you. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 12, 8 through 12, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And we know this story. We've done this story before, and I'm not intending this to be one of those like Christmas in July sermon series that maybe you've heard before, but I wanted to look specifically on the language that happens here. See, after Christ is born, these shepherds, as we see in this text, they they learn of the Messiah being born. And these men, they travel to Mary, and they tell her in the next passage all about their journey. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go to that next passage too. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now we'll pause there for a second, because this is the classic build-up story to what's happening here. But it's here in this next verse that Luke includes this language. He says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. A passage that Jill read in her communication, in her uh, communion meditation. There are a lot of human elements that are happening and unfolding in this story, where a, a young woman is chosen by God to carry the Messiah. But this particular has always stood one of my favorite pictures of our family is after Isla was born. Whitney is laying in bed. She's reading to Judah and Isla. She's holding Isla. And there's this moment that the story stops and Whitney just looks at both of our kids. And I'm obviously the weirdo that's taking pictures of all of this. But 
in this beautiful moment, like Whitney just stops. And the moment just paused, and we just kind of both reflected that, like, this is our family. These are our kids. And likely you've experienced this type of feeling as well, where life pauses and everything slows down in order for you to make a mental note of how special this feeling is. But it's not just Mary, but all mothers have felt this way. The idea of storing and overflowing of emotions away and wondering if life can get any better than this. And I'm sure that fathers feel this way too, but it's Mother's Day, so we're going to ignore them for just a little bit. They are not our focus this morning. But we leave this particular scene with the language of treasured. It's Mary being someone who acknowledged that this moment was special and tucked it away in her heart. Again, all mothers do this. You slow down and you pause. You can think about those moments in life where your kid did something special, where time froze for just a little bit, and you reflected on the fact that this is happening. And there's other stories of Mary that unfold as well that show us a little bit about the characteristics of Mary, about what it looks like to be a mother. The next one is probably my favorite miracle. I've preached on this before. I've done classes on it, but it's in John chapter 2. And this is the first miracle that Jesus ever performs in the Gospel of John, which is, is very important to think about why is it first. So they're at Cana, and there's a wedding that's happening. This is on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, pause there for a moment and kind of unpack it a little bit. Likely what Mary is doing in this story is she is either functioning as or is kind of like one of those relatives or friends of the mom who are, they're helping out. And Jesus has brought 12 of his closest friends, which is, you know, one of those awkward RSVP situations, plus 12. You don't see that. Um, they're maybe showing up in one of those, like, you know, 12-passenger vans. I don't know. I'm trying to make this a little bit light. But they, they, they have this situation where they've run out of wine, which is either a sign of a or a bad wedding. We don't know. It's kind of a toss-up at this point. But I need you to pause right here and be reminded that Jesus has not performed a single miracle yet. Yes, Mary has treasured up all of these moments and these memories with her son Jesus. But up to this point, especially in the Gospel of John, we have not seen anything miraculous yet. Nothing has happened, but in a Mary goes to Jesus. Now, you could argue that wants him to do something because he has literally brought the most guests of anyone else to this wedding. She's like, you brought 12 people, you figure out the problem that we have. But I would argue that Mary believes in Jesus. She believes that her son can make something out of nothing. In this moment of panic, it develops. Let's go to the next passage for me. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied. The hour has not yet come. I want to pause there and emphasize something that we're going to see developing throughout some of these other This is not a negative thing. I didn't grow up in a situation where I could call my mom woman. Um, in, in my notes, I wrote that Jesus might be headed in the direction of discipline, or as I grew up hearing, cruising for a bruising. Um, if I had called my mom woman. But this is not a negative term in this context. It's just, it's, it's how they communicated. And so it's not a negative thing, but 
says, woman, why do you involve Let's go to the next one. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. We circle back to that word, believe. This is an example of that. In a moment of panic, in a moment of fear of what do we do to save this wedding? Mary turns to Jesus, not because he's brought 12 people, but because Mary believes that he can do something about this moment. Let's go to the next one. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Next one. They did so, and the master of the tasted the water and that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. So the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. Next one. And said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guest. I've, been, I've had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Last verse. Let's go to that last one. There we go. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So I was prepping this this week. I was fascinated by the language that John uses there. That his disciples believed in him. This is a moment for them where they start connecting the dots that Jesus could be someone different. That Jesus could be someone unique and special in this moment. That perhaps Jesus was the Messiah. They started seeing glimpses of that. But I would argue that, Luke, or that John doesn't say the disciples and Mary believed because Mary already believed. See, mothers do this. Often mothers are our very own Ted Lassos, individuals that are optimistic and hopeful and believe in us even when we don't. This past week, uh, Judah had a baseball game. He's not in here, so I'm going to be critical of it. Judah had a great baseball game last Friday night, but he went one for four. The first couple, he had a couple good hits, but they just he either got out or he struck out. It was frustrating. And every single time that he went up to bat, I would go up to the fence and I would walk him through our motions. I would say, hey, hands together, eye on the ball. That's all you got to do. Have fun. Which is always, you know, somebody like me, have fun. You know, um, <clears throat> hit the ball. Uh, but at one point, I told Whitney, I said, hey, I need you to go say this to him. Like, I, I was like, I'm not getting through to him. I need, I need you to communicate it because he hears something different from you. And I point that out because mom, like, I think Judah knows that, like, I believe in him. I think he knows that, like, I have these dreams of him being a major league baseball player. Who knows? Like, he's probably like, cool down, dad. But like, he knows that Whitney loves him and believes in him. And it's a different voice that mothers these moments and these situations. And we see that throughout the story here of John chapter 2 where Mary presents a different voice, a different message than we see from everyone else. When everyone else is panicking and thinking, what are we going to do? The wine has run. Mary is the one that says, I know who can save this moment because I believe that my son is who he says he is. And so we leave this scene with belief. Now the next scene is interesting, especially when one is attempting to make a connection to Mother's Day. It's not Jesus' greatest moment, but it's found in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. It's a quick glimpse before they cross the Sea of Galilee. So they're, they're preparing to kind of move on, and we have this quick scene that now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to hear him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother 
brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Let's go back, one, we'll go back real quick. Spoiler alert. Um, but the crowd is so big. Like Jesus' momentum, his crowd has grown and overwhelmed everybody at this point. That There's a crowd of people just surrounding Jesus, either to be healed, to communicate with Jesus, just to experience Jesus. And in this moment, Mary and, and Jesus' brothers show up, and they want to get to Jesus. See what Jesus says next. Let's go to the next one, Jack. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Uh, this kind of first recollection of you know crucifer bruising. This was this doesn't be something that Jesus should have said. This has a connotation to it, especially if we read it the way that I just read it. But in the context of Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, those who believe in me are my family. So it's an inclusive term, uh, inclusive way of explaining this text that Jesus is doing here. What's well, not meant to be disrespectful to his mother or brothers, rather it's trying to say. Those who believe in me are my family. So it's not just discounting them. But I point this out because it would, be, it would appear based off of the text that Jesus' mother and brothers have come from a distance. And because of the crowd, the size of the crowd, they can't get to Jesus. Now, I hate crowds. And that's rarely where I, why I tell people where I really eat. Where I'm posting stuff where I eat, I'm going to other places too. I don't want crowds. I don't want lines. I want to be the only person there. And then if I see you, I'm excited to see you, but it's just by happenstance. Go to the place I tell you, now where I actually go. But the person that, that hates crowds more than me is Whitney. But I know that if a crowd were in the way of her getting to one of her children, she would do whatever it took to get to them. She would, put, she would be polite about it, but she would definitely get to them eventually. And mothers do this. They do whatever it takes to their children. Regardless of the crowd or the circumstance, whatever it means, they will get to their children. And so, yes, it looks like Jesus being a tad disrespectful. But he's actually using her as a vehicle to communicate a larger point. The family of God invites us into something potentially bigger than we realize. In the eyes of Luke, there is no hostility towards his family, and especially his mother. That was never intended that way. Rather, it's intended to communicate that the family of God is bigger than we realize. And finally, towards the end of Jesus' life, a passage that Jill also looked at briefly, is the crucifixion. We see the mother of Jesus yet again. So, in, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross, and he went out to the place of Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. They crucified him, and with two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. I start here because Mary would have been there. Mary would have seen this. She would have seen the pain. She would have seen the disrespect. She would have seen the agony of Jesus in this moment. She would have seen how Jesus. And she was there. She was present. So the next passage. Crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one, of e one for each of the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. I wonder the emotion that Jesus felt in those final moments when in the next passage he sees his mother. 
It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clovis, Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple standing nearby, it's, I love when you get those little details, because um, guess who's writing this gospel? Uh, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Well, we can't say it for sure. I believe that in that moment, Jesus received. I think there's a reason why in this story in John 19 that Mary comes again to the forefront of this story. It's not to exalt Mary. Rather, I think that Mary comes to the story to remind Jesus that he's not alone. That he's never been alone. That regardless of what he's been through, regardless of the challenges that he faces, even in his darkest and most painful moment right there, that Mary is with him. Even through pain and trials, feeling abandoned by those closest to him, Mary cared for Jesus even when others didn't. And that's what mothers do. They care. Throughout this lesson, I've tried to highlight a few words that represent who Mary was. Mary was a mother who treasured in her heart moments and memories with her son. Today, things that we often do is to look back at photos and bring those memories to the forefront of our minds. Memories when our kids were, were smaller and the days felt like years. And mothers do this. They cherish their time with their children on the most difficult and frustrating days. Mary also believed that Jesus would be who God promised that he would be. I believe that Jesus knew this. He didn't doubt who he was or what he'd come to do. But I promise you it helped Jesus on the days where he needed that extra push to continue healing someone or dissolve yet another disciple that he, his mother believed in him. Because mothers do this. When we doubt and when we need that extra push, it's often our mothers who give us that push on those extra words of confidence that we need. And Mary connected and sought after Jesus. She pushed through crowds just to see her son. You can also see and feel the love that Mary had for her son Jesus as she makes it known that there's no crowd that will separate her from her son. Mothers do this. They go through whatever it takes to make sure that their children know that they will be there for them. And finally, cared. This is likely the easiest example of what our mothers do for us, but it's sometimes the hardest to see. Because in John 19, you can feel the pain that Mary is feeling on behalf of Jesus. Moms hurt when their children hurt. Moms do not want their children to hurt or experience any pain. But in this moment, Mary believed that Jesus was the Messiah and thus could not take his pain away. I promise you she would have because she was a mother. Because mothers do this, they care for their children and walk alongside them and they feel their pain when they experience it. And this is who Mary was, a mom who cared for her son. And so to tie this into the larger series that we've been doing, we live like Jesus in relation to Mother's Day. Although we don't have the specifics of their we know that Mary loved Jesus. We see this throughout Scripture and the glimpses of her motherly love are woven throughout. And because of this, we can in turn see glimpses of how much Jesus' mother meant to him. He was a constant in his life that was rapidly changing and accelerating. There is no doubt in my mind that Jesus knew that his mother loved him. 
So as individuals attempting to live like Jesus, we too need to recognize that our mothers love us. Often their love and their actions happen behind the scenes, but it's there. It's constant. When we feel alone or discouraged, we need to be reminded that our mothers are for us. They've shaped us and they continue to love us. So as we've done each week, I want to leave you with a challenge to, how to live a little more like Jesus. And for the topic of this sermon, Mother's Day, I'm going to challenge you to do something specifically today, or at least is to take a moment and let your mother know how much they mean to you. If you've got kids, give them that nudge as well to, to maybe tell mom that you love them or make a card or whatever. This could be a phone call or a visit, but let them know. Show your mother, show or tell your mother how thankful you are for who they are and how they've always been there for you. And if you no longer have your mother with you, spend some time reflecting perhaps with pictures or memories or letters or whatever. But just reflect on how much your mother has meant to you. But the most important thing that we do today is that we communicate that. Let's stand and sing together.